Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. I hope you're having a great day and welcome to Coast View, uh, the show that celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such an amazing place to live, work, and play. Have something I want to share uh, with you from my friend Stacy Waldrop this morning. It's from Josh Ship, and it really is good. So, so think think with me as I read this one. You either get bitter or you get better. It's that simple. You you either take what has been dealt you and allow it to make you a better person, or you allow it to tear you down. The choice does not belong to fate. It belongs to you. I love that. I, I, I love actually finding these gems and, and sharing them with you because I hope that you're inspired by them the way that I'm inspired by them. It's, it, you know, Coastview is about celebrating coastal Mississippi, but I hope that you find that it's also about inspiration, that you're able to get a, a tidbit here and there that would, um, you know, that will give you, make your day better and make you think a little bit harder about how to be the best version of yourself. You know, we're going to tackle some tough issues along the way, but as a general rule, we're going to celebrate coastal Mississippi. And, uh, we hope that for our listeners and people who watch on super talk TV or social media or on YouTube, that you'll, you know, you'll listen to these conversations. You'll find some inspiration in them, and then you'll work harder to find what your role can be, that you, you can be one of the thousand points of light in coastal Mississippi. Man, it takes so many of us working together to build a great region. So thank you for being there and, and hope, hope again that you're inspired by it. Um, now let's turn the page and move over to my friend Ashley Edwards. He's the president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. He's also the chairman of an advisory committee around the, around the, uh, the BP Coastal Restoration Funds. We'll talk a little bit about that today. But anyway, Ashley, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Feeling like a million bucks, Ricky. I tell you, with all the uh, with all the advances we're making against the pandemic and the numbers coming down, uh, just excited, excited about the fact that we may have a more normal summer than we would have imagined. So, really feeling yeah, good about there, it. there. It's really cool. I had uh, I had um, um, Fofo Gillich on last week, and we we talked about you can just feel it. You know, I, I'm seeing this in all my guests. You're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's not like, is that the light at the end of the tunnel? Yeah, maybe it's the light. At the, it, no, no, it's bright. We see the light at the end of the tunnel. Numbers are coming down. The number of people getting vaccinated is going up rapidly. Um, you know, I think, you know, I never was too critical of our state's rollout of the vaccine program because I, I, I felt like that. It's like so many things when you're doing it for the first time. When you first get started, it's going to be a little bit clumsy. But uh, I think this one actually played to the governor's strengths. He's a numbers guy. He likes statistics. And eventually, you know, within a, within a matter of weeks, I think they got their arms around it and started saying, okay, what gets measured gets done. We're going to get this. We're going to involve the hospital, something they didn't do in a big way in the beginning. And, uh, you know, this thing sort of started tracking forward pretty well. I think Mississippi's you know, stacks up well with other states. Uh, the number of, you know, the number of uh, vaccine, if you take the total inventory and you look at, okay, where we are at this moment in terms of shots and arms, we're well into the 70% range, which is really good. It means we're, we're moving fast to get the shots in people's arms. We keep bringing that age down, which is a really good thing. 
And, um, and you see it, you see it in people when you walk around and, and you, and you feel life coming back to coastal Mississippi, don't you? Absolutely. You know, and I'm, I'm so happy for the frontline workers out there, uh, you know, many of whom have had to continue, um, right on through the pandemic. Um, you know, I mean, you think about the pressure that's been placed on them to have to stay healthy for their families, but to also have to show up and go to work and, you know, the fact that they're going to be into a, in a better situation, more customers coming in, uh, our economic situation will almost certainly continue to improve. And uh, I think it has a long way to go. I think we're going to see a, a really bold summer here. Uh, I think we'll see a lot of visitation on the coast. I think this is going to be a, a real good summer for us. Pent up demand, pent up demand. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll spend some time in the future continuing the conversation that you and I have had for a long time. And that is that all these trends that were in place before the pandemic, they got sped up by the pandemic. And just as here we are over 15 years later after Katrina, still trying to understand, you know, how did it change this region in so many different ways? You know, 15 years from now, we're going to be looking back on this pandemic and saying, Gosh, some of this stuff, I mean, we're going to, obviously we're going to have the clear line of sight of, you know, have history to look back at, but I think we're going to look back and say, man, it changed, it changed the face of the earth. I mean, in so many incredible ways. I mean, you feel the same way, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, I think that, you know, I think a lot of folks really undervalue uh, the extent that the pandemic is going to accelerate a lot of changes. We were already in a state of, of economic change in the United States and really across the world. Uh, this is only going to speed it up. And I think you're absolutely right. I think a generation from now, uh, you know, the, the, the business school history books are going to be teaching about the way that the pandemic fundamentally changed the world economy. I think it's, uh, you know, we've already seen some of it, frankly, but I don't think we've seen nearly the full extent that we're going to see. So I, I do think that uh, this is going to be a, a big time. I mean, you know, it, when you think about it from the standpoint of local businesses, certainly they've had to undergo a tremendous amount of changes, but uh, look at what's happened in terms of financial policy, tax policy. Uh, you know, yesterday we had uh, the new uh, 1.4, or excuse me, $1.9 trillion uh, bailout package passed. I mean, you know, I think that you're gonna see the federal government begin to invest in reshoring companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies, companies that are making you know, the input products for, uh, for things that have national security value. The, the amount of investment that I think you're going to see as a result of this uh, is going to be historic. And so, you know, positioning ourselves to be uh, very competitive in that new environment is li literally the most important thing that we can be doing right now. Well, we're going to talk more about the BP money in the second segment. So we'll, we'll come back to that in just a second. But when you woke up this morning, what what are the kinds of things you were thinking about as it related to the business council's, you know, work? Well, it's interesting you say that because I actually woke up this morning doing a little bit of, of reading uh, about the, the sort of the pandemic changes. And there were some really good articles that have come out. I do a lot of market watching. Uh, I'm kind of a hobbyist investor. Uh, you know, I don't think it'd be fair to call me a day trader because I, I, I'm more of a buy and hold kind of a stock guy. but but I really like to read the business news. I like to read the economic news. And, you know, this, there was this analysis of how disruptive technologies are coinciding with disruptive development um, and it's changing places. And the interesting thing about it is, you know, the Austin, Texas and, and the Nashville, Tennessee's of the world, 
they were sort of on the front end of this 15 years ago, but they're not really seeing it right now. Uh, where, where it's starting to happen and is, in, is in all of these towns and cities across the United States that had, li- that had lagged behind a little bit. Um, and, you know, what you're seeing now is tech companies are making huge expansions. They're going into uh, markets where the cost of living, the cost of labor is far less. Uh, you know, I think that within 10 years, we're going to see that the Silicon Valley in California is going to be relatively empty compared to all of the little silicon uh, city centers that we're going to see around the United States. And so there's clearly a change happening here. And it's, it's, it surrounds these sort of disruptive technologies. Uh, but on the same note, it, it, they are looking to try to create uh, a new environment in, in sort of new economic centers. And I, I just, to, to me, that is one of the most important conversations that's taking place right now. Uh, and as it relates to our work at the Business Council, you know, that's exactly the type of thing that we were formed to do. Uh, you know, we're, we're a civil society organization that was really formed to make sure that we're pushing the coast forward uh, to be positioned well for these types of, of changes that are occurring. And you had done some strategic work. And what's interesting about it, in that strategic work that you guys had done, looking at, you know, where can Coastal Mississippi go for many years to come, the whole notion of the new economy was part of that. The creative class, remote work was part of that. But if you take that now within the context of the pandemic and look at it, the opportunities are unbelievable. And you talk about, you know, this disbursement of companies and maybe new centers emerging and whatever. But I think probably the biggest center that's going to emerge is not even a center at all. It's the, the, it's the amount of disbursement of remote workers that's going to occur. Look. I have a lot of friends in New York. My son works in New York. Even and I've mentioned it before on the air that Price Waterhouse is probably going to go to permanent, some kind of permanent remote work scenario. That's going to change the way they view corporate headquarters and and all these big important, you know, centers that they have for their operations across the country. Every company's having that conversation right now. I mean, I, I would not want to be and the commercial real estate business in New York City now, or in any major city for that matter. I, I just, that's the same point about Silicon Valley, the cost of doing business in Silicon Valley. That's where my company was once located. Um, man, I mean, it's expensive to do business there, dude. Uh, why don't we do this? We're going to continue that conversation because that really does, I, I think it ties in extraordinarily well to the conversation we're having about the BP money and where we go from here. So we'll have that part of the conversation when we come back. This is Ashley Edwards from the Gulf Coast Business Council, and we'll see you after this break. live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Ashley Edwards with us. He's the president and CEO of the Gulf Coast Business Council. He's also the chairman of the advisory, with emphasis on advisory committee, 
that is scoring projects for the BP restoration funds. And what we're going to do, Ashley, now, and I talked to Ashley a little bit before the show started, and this sort of 10-minute period, we're going to give people a quick review. So it's kind of going to be your primer on what this process is all about and and some concerns I might have about uh, kind of where we are at this point in the, in, the, in the process. So, Ashley, tell about your committee and how it ties into the legislature. Let, let me just start by making a couple of comments about, you know, we hear the term BP money all the time. And I think it's important for your listeners to kind of understand what we're talking about. Uh, there are lots of different, you know, quote unquote, BP monies flowing around the coast right now. But what we're talking about really specifically are the BP economic damage settlement funds. Um, there are essentially two different ways that BP money arrives on the coast. One is through the Restore Act, and that was federal legislation that took the criminal and the civil penalties from BP and Transocean as a result of the oil spill. Those penalties were paid to the federal government. The federal government, uh, you know, Congress created legislation. The Department of Treasury oversees it. Those flow back into projects. Uh, and so a lot of projects people hear about, they say, well, is that one of the projects that you guys recommended? That all goes through a different process. It goes through the State Department of Environmental Quality. What we're talking about here was a settlement that was get made directly between BP and the state of Mississippi. No federal government involvement at all. And what you had essentially was $600 million that came to the state of Mississippi uh, as a result of the economic damages that occurred during the summer of the oil spill and in the time uh, after that. And this was BP, BP's way of saying, okay, you know, we realize that, you know, we're potentially liable here for quite a bit. Uh, you know, rather than going and fighting this out in court, we're going to make a lump sum settlement offer. And so those dollars are essentially the most valuable dollars we have because they literally can be used on anything. Uh, the legislature ultimately has the oversight of those dollars. You know, they are the they, they hold the power of the purse strings. And so they control the state budget. Those those monies go straight into the state budget. And a decision was made back in 2018 by the legislature uh, to spend 75 percent of the total funding in the, the six coastal counties of Mississippi. Uh, so essentially making sure the money goes back to the coast where the damage occurred. So now we're in a process by which each year people apply uh, to the Mississippi Development Authority, ultimately to be forwarded to the state legislature to say, we've got an idea or we've got a development. Uh, we'd like to have some of those funds come in to help us offset the cost of this development. And we've seen applications come from cities uh, that have you know, things that they want to do with city funds. We've seen uh, things come from, from private sector developers. We've seen things come in from nonprofits. And so what we do every year is we essentially look at all of these uh, applications that come in and we try to judge which ones will have the most transformational impact and that means a lot of things one of the things it means is you know which one has a lot of additional financial leverage behind it uh you know if it, at the end of the day someone's saying look we need a 20 percent subsidy to put something really grand in place but we're going to finance and bring 80 percent of the dollars uh from the private sector in here dollars that would not be here otherwise well, that's something that, you know, we want to pay attention to. And we obviously want to take a, a second look at, you know, the other thing that we're looking for is, you know, sort of those disruptive or transformational type developments, the things that, you know, allow us to leverage other type of investment that comes in. You know, I, as I tell people all the time, you know, when you look at public finance, there's one of two ways you can do things. If you've got a road 
that needs to be repaved in front of your house, the city can either take money directly out of the general fund, they can go repave that road. Or they can figure out a way to make sure that they're developing the land along that road to its highest and best use so that the tax dollars that are generated can repave that road over and over and over for a generation. And what we're talking about is how do we generate the tax dollars in coastal Mississippi over a generation uh, that can really pay for those expenses rather than using these, these monies that we're talking about on one-time expenses such that we don't really see any ongoing benefit or any return on investment over the long term. So that's really what we're trying to accomplish from our advisory board's perspective. And as you said, we're only advisory. We're essentially making uh, observations about the projects. We're advising the legislature, say, here's what we think will have the greatest economic impact, but ultimately they get the final say in the process. So, so what, let me just, let me add a little bit to this, uh, Ashley. So you have the projects that come through your committee that are scored, but then you have projects that can go around your committee and people can sort of gain the system or lobby the legislature separately to have those funded. And let, let me let me say just a couple more things and just to add a little bit of uh, meat to what you said, and that is that if you think about the, the disasters that have occurred in coastal Mississippi over a number of years, what it did is it revealed about us that we have some vulnerabilities. And one of the things that we want to have, that certainly the BP oil spill did this, is we want to become economically resilient. We want our we want our community to become more prosperous. You think about it, every community would want that, but they can't every community can't make every project work. And what the BP money provided for us is a way to actually make projects work that may not have worked before. So what we're seeing over the last couple of years, the number of game-changing projects coming to the table starting to increase. And they're starting to really, really, you know, fine tune the financials to say, here's the role the state can play through the BP monies that can make this a viable project. It might be just to make it economically viable to do it, or maybe it's driving the rent costs down so that so that the uh, the people who are part of the new economy can actually afford to live there, or whatever. There's a lot of different you know ways to gyrate this, but at the end of the day. And I think that the the, uh, uh, the the legislation, the way that it was worded, sort of su- suggested this, that the goal was to do transformational-type projects. In the first round, that's not what happened. I mean, there was, you know, y'all, your major recommendations, you know, they gave, they took some of them, they funded some of them, and partially they did a lot of one-time expense kind of things that were, you're just throwing the money around coastal Mississippi. And I'm not saying those projects didn't need to get done. But those are not the kind of projects that are going to stand the test of time. And um, in this particular round, I'm already beginning to hear from people who have projects that they had to work through your committee. They get scored. Some of those that were approved, not approved, but got, got good scoring and recommendations from your committee. Then they're having to go through this laborious process to go to Jackson and then lobby all over again to try to, you know, it, it's it, to me, if the goal is transformation then the process is not working very well. And I hope, I hope, Ashley, that in the future, 10 years from now, we look back on this, that we didn't squander the money. And when I say squander the money, I'm saying spend the money in a way that didn't leave a legacy for our kids and our kids' kids. And one last thing, Ben Brown, who has worked with Andreas Duane, done projects all over the world, he says that developers would covet the opportunity to have something like a BP fund there that could help make projects work. We have a once in a lifetime opportunity to make the numbers work for projects we otherwise would not be able to get. And um and 
the the biggest issue as I see it today is when we have not been able to align all of our elected leaders around this goal. The goal is not the same. And uh, I don't know what you want to say about that, but that's just kind of my observation. Well, I think your observations are, are very fair. You know, and I think you're absolutely right about that, Ricky. And, and one of the things that I would tell your listeners in no uncertain terms, you know, when we recommend a project, we are not recommending projects that would happen anyway. You know, this is not a situation where we're trying to subsidize something uh, that just wants to figure out a way to make a little more profit. What we're talking about here are putting monies toward things that would not happen if it weren't for the opportunity uh, to have some public funding, whether it's to help build infrastructure, uh, you know, other costs associated, because development is very hard, especially in our market. You know, if, if you're going to Austin and you're developing mixed use housing and you're going to sell, you know, 1,000 square foot loft units for $700,000 a piece, you're in the money there. You don't, you don't need any help to do that whatsoever. But, but that's not our market right now. And so what we're talking about here is making sure that we're not squandering that money on things that just constitute expenses that could be paid for with other funds or sometimes even with other grant opportunities. And instead, centering that money squarely on those things that will not happen, those investments that will not happen unless we figure out a way uh, to help incentivize that development forward. Well, actually, I've said this before. This is hard work, and it, it, it and I said it takes time, and it takes patience, it takes money, it takes engaged developers, it takes architects who get it. This is not easy, and what we're trying to do is incent private developers to think big, to bring visions that will help us build things like mixed use. We're going to have Stuart Speed on tomorrow to finally discuss the projects that's been proposed for Gulfport. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that conversation because uh, this is a case where there's some BP money that could potentially help make that project a reality, but there's so many more like that one. But, uh, you know, what we'll do, we'll, we'll come back in a couple of weeks and we'll see how the process is going and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll keep the conversation going and hopefully people will get on board with understanding that this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and we, we need to take it. So thank you for taking this time, buddy. Thank you, Ricky. Lots of good work lately. Always enjoy your show. So thanks so much. You bet, buddy. We'll see you later. And when we come back, we have Mary Graham from Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College. View on Super Talk 103.1 is brought to you by J. Allen Toyota on I-10 Exit 38 Gulfport. See all the incredible inventory at allentoyota.com. And remember, when you think Toyota, think J. Allen Toyota. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.